Hey guys, my name is Amy Bond, owner and CEO of San Francisco Pole and Dance. I will be your host of the new podcast miniseries, Pole Dancers of San Francisco. We're going to talk to some of your favorite pole dancers about everything from training and nutrition to competition preparation and performing. As a new sport and art form, pole dancing is a black box full of questions. How do I train? How do I avoid injury? How do I balance life when pole dancing takes over everything else? With interviews from the top pole dance professionals in our growing industry, my aim is to share knowledge from the Bay Area's finest. I cannot wait to share this show with you. Love and Pole Tricks, Amy. My first guest is Tiffany Rose Mockler. She was the winner of the Queen Mary Pole Championship 2015, the second place winner of the 2016 championship at the Arnold Sports Festival, and a cast member of Tanya Kay's Pinup Pole Show in Los Angeles. She was also a featured performer in Alethea Austin's Live Dancing Girls in Nashville, Tennessee, and was featured as a pole actress on a show called Wives with Knives, which we're going to want to know more about. Um, but I really want to start at the beginning. So can you tell me a little bit about where you're from? Hi, um, I'm Tiffany Rose Mockler. I'm from Connecticut. My family's from Connecticut, and I grew up pretty much uh, middle class, or working class, Irish. What did your parents do? Uh, my parents, my mom was an aquatics director, and my dad wrote encryption code for ATMs. And oh, wow. yeah, so he's kind of old school tech, um, but he actually grew up, uh, he's the only one that went on to like a tech school, and I was the first one to graduate from a university out of everyone in my family and extended family. And you have five brothers and sisters? Yes. Is that right? So you come from a really big family. Yeah. What number are you? I am the middle, of course. So of course, now I need to have all the attention on me. Yeah. So that's what you got to do, right? You either take care of everyone or you have to outshine everyone. And since I'm the runt of the litter, I, of course, went for gusto because everyone else in my family are, they're giants. They're huge people. So I don't look like I match at all. Really? Yeah. To the point where when I was about like 11, my parents started taking me to specialists to see what they could do about the fact that I was tiny. Yes, <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. Um, so your mom was pretty sporty. It sounds like, mm -hmm. um, did you grow up playing sports? Mm -hmm. Um, what is your movement background? Yeah, so my mother was uh, fourth in the country for speed swimming. My dad actually played um, great baseball. So he actually did a bit of college baseball. Um, okay. And then my older brother was a cyclist. My sister was a 22-time All-American speed swimmer. I was on the U.S. national team for synchronized swimming. Oh, my God. My little sister was Jesuit national champion for women's basketball in high school. And my little brother uh, got a double scholarship for baseball and art. <laughs> so yeah, so lots of athletes. We grew up my because we were working class Bristol, Connecticut. Well, we didn't know we were poor, but poor. Yeah. And my mother worked. She actually worked two jobs. Um, we ended up, and we were pretty. I guess they would call us hyperactive kids. We didn't go to um, like uh, daycare. We were put in all the sports all day long at the at the boys club that my mom worked at at the time. So we just were enrolled in everything. So that way. We kind of 
stayed out of her hair didn't you know like did something constructive with the energy so we learned all these skills like I, I did wrestling I, I helped her as sort of like an assistant to teach people how to swim when I was just maybe like eight I was helping the four-year-olds you know like oh you end up just kind of half working and half learning and I did this for years we all did yeah that's awesome yeah. do you feel like you have a really strong work ethic because you grew up that way absolutely I also grew up with I think East Coasters would say there is this uh, low level fear of freezing to death (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that's so funny (laughs) and I mean I grew up with the idea like my parents were like you need to figure this out get good grades you know be a good athlete be all around have a lot of balls in the air because if you don't make it you will not go to school and you will not get a good job and then you will freeze to death boom (laughs) they looked around they're like are there any bums here you don't see them because they freeze to death you know so we i had maybe not even a low level probably a high level fear of freezing to death you know and on that note you know my what my dad did was you know he was a very smart man but he didn't make you know he didn't make a banker money he made a teller money and he had five kids and the other thing was I mean because we were in that situation and you know they wanted the best for us they put us in private school my dad was outside in the honor I remember watching him cutting down our trees for for the furnace so it was it wasn't like a this I like distant idea yeah of like you were literally cutting wood yeah makes a fire to to heat the home yeah they sold their class rings to to put my older brother and sister into into high school like they're very much and so I moved out when I was 15 to live with a host family for synchronized swimming because they offered to take me and I would teach their daughter Mm. swimming like she was trying to come up in in the synchro world and because I was already Connecticut national champion and, and east zone champion so I lived with a host family in southern Connecticut and taught their daughter in order to stay there and I went to another high school so I went to like three high schools in four years because of swimming so you I just learned um a really kind of a positive reinforcement that which was nice which Mm -hmm. was you do uh an if you can find a niche in athletics you could kind of I I swam my way out of a out of a bad situation yeah absolutely like Mm -hmm. literally swam yeah so when you were working with this family you were basically you were literally working from like 15 years old yeah yeah and I mean it's funny now that we talk about it I didn't really mm-hmm. think about it but yeah I was essentially working but also even prior to that you mm-hmm. know at 12 13 14 I I had um a wealthy uh team that I swam for and so like the coach and her husband were subsidizing like as long as I was winning like it's like okay now I'm on trips now I'm you know I'm the fair-haired child like I, I can go see the world I did I saw the world by the time I was 13 you know I was Greece Hungary uh, Venice everything so you were so good at synchronized swimming you were actually traveling around the world around the world representing the country yeah and is synchronized swimming similar to pole in that you put together routines and it's very dancey yes it's uh, so interesting such a seamless transition the only thing we added was gravity and being able to breathe <laughs> so it's it's been amazing like I love it it was uh, very natural to invert spin mm-hmm. uh, interpret music um, be able to count it um, come up with concepts I mean this was just like I was just took it to like a fish to water I mm-hmm. really really loved it so when you know when new girls come into pole dance um, I mean I I feel like if they do have a sports background it's always kind of a plus mm-hmm. you know it's not impossible there's amazing dancers that did not know background Natasha Wong has no no background I 
I did have a background. So mm-hmm. I always like to tell people who are coming into my classes for the first time and they're like, how long have you been doing this? And, and I say, you know, I've been doing this five years. They're like, oh, but I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I come from, yeah. I was on the national team for synchronized swimming. So mm-hmm. don't feel bad. You'll get there. It just yeah. might take a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. So growing up, you were learning to interpret music as you were performing yep. underwater. Yeah. <laughs> like yes. No small feat. No. Yeah. <laughs> and that makes a lot of sense because your pole choreography class at San Francisco Pole and Dance is one of our most popular classes, mm-hmm. consistently waitlisted, mm-hmm. and you have a really interesting way of connecting with music and then not only dancing to it yourself, but sharing that dance with other people. Thank you. And I remember um, one of your first classes, I forgot what the song that we were dancing to was, but you had told us that you wrote the choreography. And I thought that was such an interesting way of putting it, Mm -hmm. that you think about creating choreography the same way a writer sitting down to write a story Mm -hmm. would tell that story. And then Mm -hmm. you told us about this poem mm-hmm. and and how you were embodying a character. Mm-hmm. So, do you think of your choreography as very character driven? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I I know some people like to have like loose concepts when they write, or even painters or artists have loose concepts of, or they like people to interpret their work in a way. But mm-hmm. I guess I'm just um, very, uh, uh, I guess, mm, dogmatic and mm-hmm. pigheaded in the sense that like I actually do have a very clear sense of like. The character or story that I'm telling and it's not even really up for interpretation for the <laughs> for the person watching like maybe um, I'm okay if people interpret it but I don't go out there saying like oh um, you know if you want to feel a certain way go ahead like I, I don't approach it from that I mean mm-hmm. I'm not gonna get mad if somebody's like well I saw a flower and I was like I know I'm a lion you know I, <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna get mad but I do kind of think that I failed in my interpretation like I should have choreographed not necessarily the idea of being on the nose with something like I don't want something to be mm-hmm. like cliched or, or like eye very literal exactly mm-hmm. I don't want it to be that but I also want somebody to kind of feel like they're in on the secret yeah you know so that would be I mean if if I was able to if somebody's able to watch it and then all of a sudden go like know who this is mm-hmm. you know then that's like that aha moment is just like this magic that'll put you know hair hair will raise on your arms if you're able to do that mm-hmm. so yeah I definitely think of it as writing um I think of it as you know pictures worth a thousand words so if you put that picture to movement holy cow you've told a, a, a billion words right mm-hmm. yeah so and I, de- I definitely think of it as more of um I this is so cheesy but like a poetry emotion because yeah. because you get a you get to have a full story or a sonnet or whatever you get to mm-hmm. have a full story you can have a beginning middle of end and I actually kind of abhor people who come to me um with like no concept and they've been dancing for a really long time I'm like what have you yeah. been up to like what are you what are you what are you contributing or how are you expressing yourself how are you um uh exercising your demons so Tiffany you very naturally moved from synchronized swimming to pole dancing. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got started? I'd like to start off anecdotally for a second because recently I saw a really funny quote from somebody. Um, <laughs> it said, uh, quote, how did you start pole dancing? Question mark, unquote. And the next person said, I took a class. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think that's really funny because I feel like it doesn't have to, you know, it's just like anything else. Like people don't ask like, oh, how did you get into uh, Zumba. It's like, you just took a class. Like, it doesn't have to be a big deal. But at the same time, I do understand that it's a little more niche yeah. at this point. But I'd love for someday everybody to be like, oh, yeah, I just 
Not my fault answer. I took a class, just like a gymnast or just like whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so I was um, I was a uh, personal trainer at Google for 11 years. Mm-hmm. I had um, also a private training business. One of my clients' wife started training with me, and she was a professional ballroom dancer. She said that in the in the Bay, I think it's around springtime, they have this um, Bay Area Dance Week. I think you might oh, be familiar yeah, yeah. with. Mm-hmm. And there's free classes around the Bay. It's awesome. It's like an entire weekend. There's like... Um, hundred student uh, studios that are involved and they all offer free classes to come try out whatever kind of dance it is precisely so there's belly dancing and you know uh adult ballet and things like this so she said that there was pole dance and i just was like yes let's yeah. do it let's take a pole dancing class i'm so interested so i took to it like which by the way like seven years ago six years ago like most people were not like yes pole dancing they were like oh my god that sounds so slutty (laughs) yeah probably so you know sign me up um yeah so exactly it did very much have the stigma still Mm -hmm. and um so I took my first class and I just inverted the first day and just loved it and I uh, six months later, I won the Pacific Pole Dance Championship, my division, because at that time, there was only three divisions. Oh I won gosh. level two, yeah. So um, I obviously loved it, but um, my journey there was, so I, tr- so being a trainer and then having that athletic background, you know, made that easy. But the things that didn't make it easy were um, the stigma, of course, and mm-hmm. um, the now there is Instagram and there is just this insane amount of like um, ability to learn content Co- exactly content mm-hmm. there's tons of content and traveling artists and back then there were traveling artists the OG uh, of OGs of pole dance were Marlo Alethea Janine Butterfly okay so even further back Alethea yeah Alethea Janine Butterfly my first I think one of my first was Zariah Oh, and yeah. Stephen Rechless. I think Stephen Rechless might have been my first ever um, oh my class. Yeah. And so um, that that evolved that way. Yeah. Awesome. So six months into pole dancing, you win your first competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're one of those rare people <laughs> who got on the pole and were instantly awesome. But you had all of this background right. going into it. Mm-hmm. And I do think there is something to be said for the fact that pole as a sport is generally picked up by people who have some kind of fitness background already. There are a lot of people who can come into it naturally without any movement Mm -hmm. background, but it does, you know, require a level of strength Mm -hmm. to climb up the pole, Mm -hmm. to move upside down, and you Mm -hmm. can progress and do that, you know, by just going to pole Mm -hmm. classes. But my experience has been that usually people who walk through our doors have some kind of movement background before they come to class. Right. And I also, it's some of that is an advantage. And actually, mm-hmm. not to pander to anyone, but people who have raw talent and have no background are also have an advantage because like for instance as a as a synchronized swimmer, we kept our core a certain way. We actually didn't back we have no back flexibility. We were taught to actually keep our shoulders in, keep a flat board, mm-hmm. and um, and all our figure positions in, in that sport are like that. So I do not have that, that awesome, flexible cartilage in my back where as somebody who was never trained to do that may 
may be much more back flexible than I'll ever be. Mm-hmm. What I do have is really, really strong shoulders, so I I don't have that many injuries in that respect. But, you know, knock on wood. Yes. <laughs> um, but, yes, so there are advantages to being just raw and green um, and not having a habit mm-hmm. formed already. So yeah. there's also that, too. Yeah. Um, so you take your first pole class six months later you win your first competition did studios start asking you to teach I mean it was a long time ago when there weren't that many mm-hmm. what six years ago mm-hmm. and there weren't that many people who were considered professional pole dancers so I imagine mm-hmm. after winning your competition you had studios asking you to mm-hmm. teach yeah actually um I said no so I wanted to stay a student. I had already been, um, since I was a professional health and fitness instructor already, mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to keep pole for myself. Yeah. So I avoided it for three years. Yeah. So you spent three years being solely a student. Yes. That's so fun. Totally. And who were your first instructors? My first instructors were Amber Richard, um, oh. yeah, Ellen Loveless, and... Uh, Christina Warren Kish who owned the studio and then um, as I got a little deeper into pole I started like needing choreography help so I would go down to Southern California I would see some people like Sergia and um, Sergia Lewis Anderson Mm -hmm. and um, Mary Kolosinski yeah so those were my two girls down there and then we formed quite a bond and so I would go down a lot and and work on stuff and and um, I liked competitions because it was a way to kind of set a goal and start training um and there was definitely setbacks like Mm -hmm. I didn't just start winning and then life took off and my life was grand there was no problems I had Mm -hmm. injuries I had a couple just total eat shit um experiences Mm -hmm. like I thought I was going to go in and do so much better than I did and so moving from um uh amateur to professional was quite a journey quite a journey Mm -hmm. and you know, pole dancing is not therapeutic It is for the body. It is. You are going to, you are not coming out unscathed. You are definitely going to injure yourself. And I have have had some doozy injuries, um, repetitive stress, tears. Um, I broke my hand doing a flip. Yeah. And I hit the, hit, hit the floor with my hand. Actually do a uh, performance in Nashville. Um, like with a broken hand with a broken hand like and I want to say I reckon it was three weeks later mm-hmm. so I was climbing with an elbow instead of a hand you know and just trying to trying to look like it doesn't bother me um so the the road ha- was definitely paved with failures um I think failure is absolutely a part of any athlete's journey or a person's internal journey mm-hmm. on this planet if you're not failing you're not trying and I don't know who you are because that's not how how success works one thing I think is really interesting about um like the competition mentality now that the Bay Area has more studios and more classes and more instructors we have more students who are starting to compete mm-hmm. and there's this very much like defined cycle mm-hmm. where you, people sign up and they're really excited and then they have this master plan to do like 16 fongies and (laughs) you know like spatchcock and they don't have their splits yet and so it's a little bit unrealistic of a plan going in and then there seems to be this kind of like arc 
where or like downward slope where they're like oh my god I'm not going to be able to do it I'm terrible I'm the worst dancer and then you know a week out everything comes together they throw it on the stage and they can't wait to sign up again Um, so how as a coach because you work with a lot of students on developing choreography and developing routines for competition how do you manage expectation of students um, when maybe their expectations are a little bit unrealistic awesome question awesome question well I like to start by telling you know every student that you know this is it's usually it's time to a bit of a science physiologically it's about a three-month cycle Mm -hmm. right um because you need to create um hyperplasia in the muscles right to do what you're asking of it over and over and over again so what you kind of psychologically would want and physiologically will want they have to meet Right. Um, mm-hmm. So the first month is going to be writing. I tell them always, the first month is going to be writing. Second month is going to be perfecting. Third month is going to be endurance. I love like that. Yeah. And so what I always tell my my students is um, there are going to be some awful practices, especially in that last month. You are going to have a couple run-throughs that are just atrocious. You're going to leave defeated. You're going to want to pull out of the competition. And thank God for those because you want them when you're practicing. You don't want them on stage. And the more you fail, then the more exit strategies you have for all of the mistakes you make. And I constantly am telling girls to keep going. They will, you know, stop a pass or or, or feel winded. And I'm like, just don't stop moving. Just finish out the three and a half minutes, four minutes, climb, do something new, whatever you need to do, but don't stop. One thing I love about your coaching style is that you spend a lot of time on face and presentation Mm -hmm. and perfecting the small details. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you see this in competitions all the time, especially with new dancers where they do a move and it was probably, it looked good to me, but they clearly didn't like it. And then it kind of, that that defeatedness falls into the rest of the routine and and then it's just kind of sad (laughs) (laughs) do you um do you kind of coach people through like how do you coach people through face and performative expression as they're getting ready for routine first let me say I love these questions by the way (laughs) yeah so this is great so this is once again like I hate to say it's a life lesson but I think on this planet you know, people can sit there and uh, be down on themselves walking down the street or, you know, take everything and just bleed over it, which you totally can. And I totally understand why you would do that. But when you get on stage, there is a conversation you're having with, with the audience. And if you stop this conversation and go into tears, then they're coming with you and you're exactly who you tell them you are, mm-hmm. you know? So you can be an incredible dancer that made a mistake and picked yourself up and continued to be an incredible dancer. And I might even forget about that or commend them on the fact that they moved on with their life. Mm-hmm. Or I can come down with them. They're, I can dwell on it like they are I watched a girl once break out into hives that were it was beyond notable I thought she had to go to the hospital like people were clapping for her to continue on because she just kept stopping and it was just it was devastating to watch and I personally took that as a lesson where it was like somebody had let themselves psych themselves out to the point of like it was so evident how 
how your mind controls your body. I mean, this person was physically trans- transforming in front of me and everyone in that audience, and it was just a cautionary tale, mm-hmm. you know? So I tell my, my students that, you know, it's just pole dancing, number one. Life is absurd. We're about to, we're a grown adults telling silly stories. So please don't make this your be all end all. Like you're yeah. going to get off the stage. You're going to go home. You're going to go eat dinner and watch and binge watch some television. Like just like every other person, you just happen to have done a routine and it also doesn't make you worse or better than anyone else. And what makes you think you're so special that this is the end of the world? It's not You're we're not special. Okay. <laughs> we're grown ups telling stories on a stage. I love that so yeah. much. Um, when students ask me about, um, you know, my first competition piece, it was um, APC in 2012. I'd been pole dancing for like a year and a half. My big move was a butterfly, and then I was going to finish with a back walkover. And I back walkovered right off the stage yeah. in my very first competition. And so every year, and some people tell me it's kind of messed up, but I do it anyway. Every year before a competition, I will post just the snippet of the time that I back walkovered off the stage just to remind people, like, one, you will laugh about this later if it goes poorly. And two, like, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And actually, some of my favorite memories of being on stage are the times that I failed very dramatically but picked myself back up. Um, what was what was one of the, at the time, most horrifying moments you've had on a stage? Um, yeah, you know, there's been so many. I, I can't pick. I'm also a perfectionist, so... Uh, there's probably only a couple to other people, but to me, it seemed like a big deal. I definitely landed like I recently did a, a performance and the genius who set up the lighting um, put it eye level and it was shining directly into my face. And I totally ended up like I fa- was facing the wall for God knows how long. <laughs> there was no audience there. I'm making faces at no one. Um, yeah, and um, it was just really embarrassing. You know, once again, I, so I think... it was like you're back to the audience. Totally. And I'm like making love to the wall, apparently. <laughs> and um, that was recently in, in Long Beach. And, um, you know, you kind of like wonder if your eyes like made that look like holy shit or did you kind of play it off, you know? And to tell you the truth, I never even looked at the video because I'm like... Whatever, that's not my fault. It's I didn't fine. do that. Yeah. Like they they <laughs> ruined me with that thing. So um, I I that's just the one in recent history. Um, and it also goes to show that there are just like so many things out of your control as a dancer. You can do it a hundred times on st- on the studio poles perfectly, but you know then like the lights are weird. You yeah. know, they're shining in your eyes. Totally, totally. And I mean, there's bobbles here and there where I just like cringe. You know, when I see the bobbles, and then then I try to remember that um who I I rhetorically ask these questions to people to students and myself oh who won APC in 2014 (laughs) nobody knows no offense to whoever that is but nobody knows and it didn't doesn't really matter um and then also what's comforting and also disheartening in our sport is how many competitions there are Mm -hmm. and how many different tracks there are and governing bodies and and levels and Mm -hmm. requirements so you may win something or lose something and Really, it doesn't affect your ability to make money or be more more of a famous pole dancer because there's just so many titles out there and so much going on. So really, um, you know, it's nice to have those titles if you want to be a touring artist. Um, 
it helps, but it's definitely not the be all end all. And there are plenty of professionals that have never competed who mm-hmm. are gigantic, huge pole stars. Um, it's interesting how there's been this transition over, and I've been pole dancing for seven years, so I've seen this even in the time that I've been pole dancing from like you're only able to see people on stage or at like a pole expo. Mm -hmm. And then Instagram really started becoming like the place for pole dancers Mm -hmm. like three years ago. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even that long ago. Mm -hmm. And now I'm seeing pole artists who I've never seen perform Mm -hmm. in a competition or compete in a competition who, you know, those are like my go-to dancers Mm -hmm. when I want to pick up a new trick or some new floor work. I love that. Yeah. And it's like anybody has their own stage with Instagram I love that exactly mm-hmm. I absolutely love that because I really I kind of actually don't <laughs> for somebody who is a, a fierce competitor and I teach intensives on competition I actually think competitions can be quite unhealthy and um, obsessive and ridiculous so mm-hmm. I love that there's YouTube Facebook Instagram for another platform because um, it's an art and I, I do kind of struggle with the idea that like if we're making art it shouldn't be judged you know and especially when competitions have compulsories like mm-hmm. I have to admit I kind of eye roll because I'm like if this was Monet I mean will we make him draw a horse like is that <laughs> you know I mean, could he I don't know um and that doesn't make his art any less wonderful because he couldn't draw a horse no and I do think that that's something else that I've kind of struggled with as a competitor but also especially as a coach because I have lost so many competitions but I've loved the process and the pieces that have come out of them. And for me, my mentality is never like, oh, that piece was shit because I didn't win. No. And I think that that is mentality that you see a lot in the pole industry is like, you know, the two weeks before a competition, you see all these people being really excited about their routines and they like post about how they have thought really deeply about this piece of art that they're going to put on a stage. But then as soon as they don't win, there's all this discounting like, oh, that wasn't, you know, I knew that there was something wrong with it and I should have trusted my gut. Mm -hmm. But I think there's always going to be weaknesses Mm -hmm. in any routine. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I, I agree with you that, um, that the winning and losing piece of competition often takes away from what is actually a beautiful routine and a really successful piece. Yeah, I mean, me and um, Sergio Luis Anderson, I mean, we have definitely made pieces and said, we just want a really good video. Because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've definitely gone in and taken risks with pieces and we're like, either it's going to do well or we're going to have a really good video. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's been totally true. And just to... Um, to elaborate on that you know those videos got me gigs those videos got me performance opportunities mm-hmm. those vig- those videos got me as a cast member in shows that actually make money and you're performing in a show called um the pinup pole show pinup yeah show. can yeah. you tell us a little bit about that yeah yeah so it's a retro style show in los angeles and i do that um in long beach and north hollywood that's uh, a monthly or bi-monthly show and it's a burlesque and pole and variety show and it's um basically a 1950s early 60s um review it's also it's put on by a wonderful um producer tanya k who you know was in stomp and toured a lot as a professional dancer she she comes from dance um and picked up a a little bit of pole but 
she, she'll tell you right off the bat. I mean, she's a choreographer. She's a dancer. She's a producer. So to have that kind of reiteration of like, this is art. It's just such, I'm such a lucky artist because I am so always pulled away from the pole world, which is starting to get result oriented and gymnastic. Mm-hmm. And it's like, forget that. That is so boring. I mean, anybody who watches a, a pole dance competition for half an hour is going to start glazing over if it's just trick after trick. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's why I get really obsessed with the details, with the faces, mm-hmm. with the telling of the story, because people will listen to stories all day long. That's what they do. That's what television is. It's, it's, listening, it's listening and watching stories all day long. So I'm trying to bring high art to the, to the stage, make it relatable, make your audience love it, because if you didn't want someone to see it, you should have done it at home. <laughs> you are here to perform for us. Yeah. <laughs> like, make it be known. And if you don't like doing that, please don't compete or pull out you don't have to do it you don't have to do this no one you have paid money and signed up to do this you've spent hard hours and you've costumes and oh my god if you're not having fun please stop (laughs) i don't want to watch you torture yourself so that's that's great and 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 being in a show in los angeles like i said being a working artist has reiterated that and also like the positive reinforcement that like i'm being paid to do my art to to make um, vignettes, to I, I get pushed as an actress. I mean, I have acting and singing and dancing parts, and I have to interact with you know a different crowd every every night. And you never know. I mean, then you have to force yourself to improv because once in a while a chair is in your way, or yeah. we have a drunk uh, <laughs> a drunk audience member who wants to be part of the show. You know, so you have to play them off. And I mean, there is so much hilarity to play off of other females. And you know, I remember being backstage and hearing Tanya Kay say something to the audience, and it, I just laughed my butt off she was talking about how many skull people wearing a bunch of skulls and this person was wearing skulls and she's like I even have a skull inside of my head like and it just like was really funny and cheeky and and just reminded me that like this is a strong empowering you know I hate to be in cliche but like mm-hmm. empowering sport for for the feminine um energy and like the more we are down on ourselves and result oriented like that is not fe- that is not feminine yeah. the 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 um great thing about the feminine power is community inclusion beauty sensuality and the minute we go i'm better than you you're better than me i'm down on me body conscious result oriented that i've never seen that in any of my women's studies classes that is not what we're about what we're trying to do and i think that just really really um takes away from what our gender does best yeah you know um, you talked earlier about um, how, as a child, you your family always had a lot of balls in the air. How they act, your parents actually in, inculcated in you this belief that, like, you know, you must have a lot of balls in the air, or else you're gonna freeze <laughs> to death. <laughs> freeze to death. And it's so funny because that's so you. You are so clearly your parents' daughter. Like, I don't know very many people who have so many balls in the air you just launched a clothing line you're a traveling pole professional so you go to studios around the world and yeah. teach workshops you do um pinup show pinup pole show, pin-up and, pole show. Yeah, and i'm a personal trainer and i'm a hospice volunteer every week <laughs> <laughs> yeah so do you do so many activities because you just 
enjoyed doing a lot of different things or like what motivates you? Yeah, uh, I think it's intrinsic. I definitely Mm -hmm. think it's a little bit genetic. My mother is the same way. And I truly, and and you're just like that too, Amy. I mean, you've got a thousand things going on. I really relate to that. I think I'm a bit of an alpha female. I feel like also, I mean, on a global scale, I just am like, if I'm not contributing or making or producing, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah, life is so short. Life is so short. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I had a sister pass, um, and I just know the brevity of life. Um, so, yeah, I had read that in a um, in a piece that Bad Kitty had done about you that you lost a sister really early in life. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that is a constant reminder to you that life is short and that you, you've got to do it now, or there might not be time later on? Yes, I mean, I and I am constantly. Um, being positively reinforced by that belief system. And as you know, I think you've mentioned it once to me before in class, in passing, you said, oh no, Tiffany is not patient. <laughs> and I was like, she's totally right. Like she picked up on it. I'm not patient. And I, and I find patience to be a really overrated virtue because life is short. I think patience only works in things that are out of your control. Mm-hmm. But that said, you are very patient as a performer as a maker as a choreographer because I've seen you work with so many students Mm -hmm. over and I work with you Mm -hmm. as well as a coach Mm -hmm. um you know the coaching that you've given me given me has always been really patient we Mm -hmm. developed my um pole theater routine Mm -hmm. over the course of like four months Mm -hmm. we met once a week you were with me all the way Mm -hmm. um so I do think that um you're probably you probably display a level of impatience in your day to day, but mm-hmm. when you're looking at your long term goals, you you have this a very um, like level headed way of methodically moving through the things that you're working on. Thank you. Yeah, I I'm a workhorse, so I I think these two things are um, are sort of mutually exclusive. Like I think mm-hmm. the thing about it is. Um, when it comes to all these balls in the airs and things like this, um, I think it's important for anybody who wants to be successful to realize that like anything could fall apart. Mm-hmm. So you need to kind of have backup plans for your backup plans mm-hmm. and have, you know, whether that's um, um, money or relationship, um, you can't like, you cannot put everything on one person or one job or whatever. I mean, I once read that a millionaire has seven forms of income and that just blew my mind. Mm. Cause I was like, Oh my God, that's right. Like I meet very wealthy people in the Bay and it's not because they have, they work at one job. No, they have investments. They have yeah. real estate, they have whatever. And I treat my personal athletic life the same way. It's like, okay, well I'm going to tour, I'm going to teach, I'm going to instruct, I'm going to choreograph all of these things because not only does that bring me joy but it also makes me feel security in this fucked up world and um just like anecdotally um when it comes to being impatient some things that have worked out recently is like I got married in eight months my I mean my husband and I were dating for a long time but when we got engaged we got married in eight months well guess what three weeks later Trump became president Mm -hmm. and I keep thinking to myself thank god I got to have a beautiful wonderful happy moment before impending doom came and like (laughs) I mean, now it's like back to the time. So when I log into Facebook now, I'm getting all these like memories because, you know, you see like on this day last year and it's always it's all these posts about like how we're going to have a woman president and like, you know, go Hillary. And like, here we are. I feel like 2017 has made it so much harder to just be a human in the world because there is an assault on the progressive 
values that we have in the Bay Area. Um, and I think that kind of goes back to your point too. Make me feel this way about life is short. You never know what is going to happen. Life is short. Pole dance. Pole dance. <laughs> help people. Build community. And yeah. I think you embody all of those things really well. Well, thank you. And I was going to say um, to to people who are starting pole dance, it's the same thing. Life is short. Like, <laughs> get out there and dance. And yeah. I mean, in this screwed up time, like. You, we need dance more than ever. Um, and I think you might have seen, I, I went to uh, a uh, ecstatic dance class. Yes. And some guy, we were sitting in a circle. He's awesome Australian dude sat down and said, like, I wasn't going to come today. I felt pretty down. And then I realized, like, I don't come to dance to feel good. I, I dan- come to dance to feel everything. And that just blew my mind. I mean, my eyes just like waterworks because mm-hmm. it was true. Because I, you know, I, I choreographed these dances and sometimes they're booty clamping dance classes. And meanwhile, you know, we had a hurricane that morning or, yeah. you know, Trump announced some terrible assault on women's you know, birth control. And I have to go in there and I'm looking at all these faces, all these females, you know, who are going to be directly affected by these terrible things that are happening all over. Or, you know, there's another shooting or another bombing. And I go in there and I sometimes I have to say something. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, guys, I know that this world is terrible but you're in a safe place right now and for an hour and 15 minutes we are going to set it down mm-hmm. or dance it out whatever you want to do mm-hmm. laugh dance cry whatever you want to do but this is a safe space and here's the equipment you need to dance your heart out and then you can go back into the world as a stronger human more equipped with your mental health to get back out there and, and be the change you want to see um we only have a couple minutes left, but I'd love to know what would be your one piece of advice to pole dance students who want to get better, faster, stronger? Um, what kind of cross training? Um, would you actually limit the amount of pole dance you did if you were just getting into pole and trying to ramp up? So I have th- uh, th- quickly three points. One is yes, cross train. Do not train for pole with pole. So weight training, um, lifting, um, uh, lifting high weight, low rep, um, basically uh, uh, overload the body. Um, this is the way for any female to get better. Um, and also remember that women do not really get hypertrophy. We get hyperplasia, which is a wonderful thing. So unless you're um, injecting yourself with testosterone and eating tons of food, you are not going to get bigger. You are going to get stronger. You're going to get the body that you're hoping for. Um, and there's tons and tons of studies on the endocrine um system of women that have recently come out and please please lift lift whenever you get a second lift every day if you can pretty much i mean not every day but you know a lot a lot more than you think you are about only 12 percent of the female population is lifting regularly mm-hmm. and if you are thinking about becoming a pole dancer please lift um the other thing i would say the second prong is yes you have to be pole dancing and i would say um i'm not gonna actually limit you i actually think most pole dancers aren't dancing enough and then they come to me and they're like let's write a routine and i'm like (laughs) how often are you doing this and they're like i have these 15 tricks i want to do and you're like well where are you going to dance in that thing (laughs) and do you know those tricks right you know so um so uh new new dancers should be coming two or three times a week um Mm -hmm. i don't i don't think you definitely you necessarily need to do more than three times a week I would say but I I definitely saw a huge improvement in myself when I went from two days a week to three days a week and are you talking about dancing specifically or are you talking about going to pole classes that include like tricks based pole classes that's a great question um both I would say uh do you know 
one day, you know, have a class that's choreographed, have one day, one day that is a tricks class, and then, you know, something else that you're, that feeds your spirit and soul, but has something to do with the pole. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, I substituted in adult um, ballet and I was taking um, adult contemporary classes mm-hmm. because that really helped my transitional work. So cross train, uh, I would, I, but lift and three days a week on the pole would be my, my advice. Awesome. Um, final question. Who is one pole dancer who inspires you? I have more than one. Okay. Can I, thank you. Um, Sergio Luis Anderson for dance, because I like to look at the things that I need to work on the most. Um, who else? Um, Isis Diamond. Yeah. I love to look at her stuff. So strong. Um, Shoot. There's a girl out of South America by something. B-A-I-E. I don't, I love her Instagram and I look at her stuff a lot. Um, so I think those are my three. Awesome. Off the top of my head. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending the time with us this afternoon, Tiffany. Um, we cannot wait to get this interview out in front of people. Uh, you've given us so much great advice in it. So we really appreciate you being here today. It's an honor. Thank you.